Proudly coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Frontier Podcast. I'm your host, Ledge, and we are powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes and join the conversation at the Frontier Pod on Twitter. Giddy up. When we talk about the software development lifecycle, we often focus on the product and engineering functions, potentially leaving out a critical team, sales, and specifically sales engineers. To add a little bit of color to this role, we invited Chris Goodman, Director of Integration and Alliances from Sentinel One. Chris gives a different look at customer empathy, one that is directly tasked with helping customers figure out the problems they really have and how to solve them. At the end of the episode, he shares a succinct and powerful approach to help engineers stand out and secure coveted engineering team roles. All right, Chris, hey man, thanks for joining us. Good to have you on. Thank you so much, uh, excited to be here. Could you give just like a two or three minute intro of you know yourself, your work, what you've been up to, just so the audience can get to know you? Yeah, fantastic, sure. So my name is Chris Goodman and I'm a director of integrations at Sentinel One. And so before that, I was also a sales engineer. And so since I know what an API is and I know what uh, a little bit of Python coding is, uh, I got promoted. Uh, I knocked it out of the park for Sentinel One for two years as an SE, uh, doubled my quotas, you know, knocked it out. And so now I'm really interested in trying to build out our integration platform as well. So that's where I'm at. You know, so many engineers do not understand uh, us sales folks. So I've been in, I've been in the sales seat, you know, and, and there's just like, there's a big difference in the culture. So I'd be interested to hear, you know, having sat in both seats and, and done integration engineering, even some code, you know, yeah, you know what things are and, and you actually have to sell it to customers. What's the recommendation for like, how do you make success out of dealing with the uh, on the ground product engineers? Yeah, you know, so I'm fortunate enough to work for a startup that has a listening ear. So I'm out in the field often uh, talking to uh, other folks, other large organizations saying, hey, guys, I used to sit in your seat. What would make things better for you? So, for instance, uh, Sentinel One's got uh, five of the top uh, Fortune 10, right? So I fly out, I sit down with those guys and we figure out basically, and forgive me everybody for saying this, one pane of glass, right? We always hear it within the uh, community of how easy it is, but I'm really trying to make a difference and trying to help um, our, our, our customers with trying to put together some type of framework where they just go to one place, typically the Sentinel One console, and then just do whatever they need to do. That's either threat hunting, or taking a file and putting it up into uh, some type of sandbox or something low level is taking that all that threat detail and then pivoting it into like recorded future or other vendors. Uh, so that, that is the key crux thing that I do and try to make it happen. So we should step in and say, okay, you know, cybersecurity obviously is Sentinel One's area of work and that's a hot topic right now. So, you know, okay, are you helping people not become the next Equifax and how do you do it? <laughs> yeah, fantastic question. So Sentinel One's based off of three pillars, right? So our first pillar uh, is called our deep file inspection engine, right? And so a shout out to Silence, they really pioneered this specific thing. Like I really wish I could sit down with some of the engineers and uh, Matt Wolf, like 
he's a genius. Like I, that guy is awesome. Like he'll come in with flip flops and a hoodie, and you know, you like when that comes in, like that's legit, dude. Like knows his stuff. Uh, but next off is then our patented uh, behavior engine, right? So, on uh, as things happen in uh, the process, and as things get exploded, and as things uh, child processes spawn out, we watch every single process and determine within our own special sauce if it's uh, legitimate or malicious. So for instance, let's take Adobe Reader, right? Adobe Reader's a uh, piece of crap software as it is, but it's what we all use. So what happens is that Adobe Reader spawns different processes as it goes through. Now our system on real-time machine speed looks at it and says, hey, is this malicious? Why is it going out to a known C2 server? That's kind of weird. Why is it pulling down a weird JavaScript app? Mm. So then at that moment, we make a decision saying, you know what, timeout, that's malicious behavior and we're gonna stop it dead in its tracks. But we don't stop there. Uh, because then what we do is we then spin that and look at it of all the artifacts that came down and we start doing true EDR, where we can, can hunt and see if any other of our endpoints were affected by this type of malicious email or a website or even USB stick that they stuck in to take a look at. So that's what Sentinel-1 is known for, uh, is really our behavior engine and then our static engine, and lastly, our EDR capabilities. So talk about endpoints. You know, I've heard the term attack vectors or attack surface. So how does that fit together with, with endpoints, you know, for the, the business listeners in the crowd? We talk a lot about technology and deep dive stuff, but, you know, like, let's, let's zoom out a little bit. Talk to us about sure. the vocabulary there. Yeah, sure, no problem. So an attack surface is really just a machine that has, uh, you know, vulnerable apps or something of that nature, right? Where the bad guys then try to exploit those vulnerable apps. And so that's where we come in as Sentinel-1 is that we really look over the whole machine holistically and make sure that nothing malicious gets uh, entrenched on it. So how we do that is what we described uh, before is with our three pillars of technology. Uh, but also from a business sense, everything that we have is automated. And so this is the key aspect that I truly am passionate about is that not only is our um, product automated in an aspect of that really it's a hands-off once you install it thing, but we also have over 250 read and write APIs where we can then uh, hook in and then pivot. So let's say you like Palo Alto Networks Firewall, best firewall on the planet, according to me, right? I mean, I love that stuff. Um, so then we can pivot and take all that threat detail, IPs, hashes, et cetera, and dump it into the firewall to make both products better. So let's say you don't have a Sentinel-1 agent on um, a kiosk or uh, a phone or something crazy, right? Uh, a webcam. Uh, we can still protect those endpoints by leveraging the technologies that surrounds us. So we can hook into a firewall saying, hey, you know what? We're not going to allow anything to happen uh, or traffic to go out to this known bad vector. So that's how it works. So talk about the industry at large, right? People are trying to attack this, I mean, endless numbers of cybersecurity, you know, sort of products and, and tools and you could integrate it you know, into your dev cycle and you can take it from, you know, inside the firewall, outside the firewall, you know, like how does anyone make sense of this? You know, Sentinel one, cool, great product. Right. And then there's this like empire of, you know, a thousand <laughs> different things. There's so many products and services 
how does anyone make sense of this ecosystem from a, a buying standpoint? Yeah, that's, you know, that is truly the, the hard part, right? So sometimes people leverage, you know, firms like Gartner or NSS Labs or Forrester to help them narrow down their selection criteria. So that, that's typically kind of the, the first kind of thing. Now, frankly speaking, um, all those places, Gartner, NSS Labs, Forrester, they're all kind of biased anyway. They say they're not, but they are. And that's the reality. So what you have to do as a business person or an engineer is, you know, put on your goggles, uh, look at those reports as some type of guidance, like, oh, okay, well, you know, they're in a visionary quadrant or they're, they're uh, in this bubble for enforcer of being visionary. It, that's something to be noted on, but not to be decided on. Right. So you can't make a decision just based off of that specific report. What you really need to do is define your problem, say what my problem really is. You know, maybe I have a problem with too many logs everywhere. So what do you do, right? So you have to aggregate all those and stuff it into something, right? So you'll Splunk or Exabeam or something like that. Uh, then uh, what you do is you try to define a, a process of when you bring those vendors in saying, hey, I want you to do X. Show me how you guys do X. Um, and then after that, you bring it to the table of, you know, tossing it into a proof of concept, making sure what they say is real, right? Because we're all, <laughs> we all love marketing, right? Oh my God. Everybody is, uh, uh, listens to marketing as it is, but what really happens is uh, the true test is bringing it into a proof of concept phase. And that's usually 30 to 60 days where you kick the tires really hard and then make sure what the vendor says uh, they can really do. So obviously, you know, you're talking about the solution that huge enterprises are, are using and, and a lot of our clients are on that side. And then a lot of the clients are also on the other side It's like one, two, three people, you know, literally writing the first lines of code. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder how do you guys think about security planning and, you know, so people who can't possibly afford a product mm -hmm. at scale, but you know, need to, you know, address these issues, you know, from, from literally from the engineering footprint upwards. Well, I am a huge proponent of two factor authentication. Uh, so right off the bat, like if all your business people really want is something to kind of lock down without buying really expensive products, first off is to get something two-factor authenticated, right? So just buy, uh, I don't know, the, the Google Triton key, right? Uh, there's fantastic studies on this kind of stuff of just that alone will help circumvent all types of phishing attacks. So, so that's number one, right, from a business case. But from a coding aspect, maybe uh, you want to dive into like looking at some of the new frameworks that are coming out, right? So, so for instance, like GitHub's our friend, right? So there is guys out there that just constantly turn out stuff that is just really stellar. And frankly, Google uh, is a front uh, runner in this type of stuff. They're giving away a lot of tools that we can leverage and frankly, monetize on as well. Yeah, talk about some of the open source stuff that you're familiar with, maybe some top hits there. Um, you could search GitHub all day long for you know, small things, but what's the, what's the top of the heap? Well, yeah, so frankly, right now, what I'm looking at uh, is a lot of PowerShell stuff. So like a, a lot of frameworks developed by uh, just a power exploit and things like that. But I mean, Google's got their own kind of cool thing of stethoscope, it's called. 
which is really hot. Um, it really brings into the kind of nature of looking at the event itself. It's, it's more EDR driven than anything. Uh, so that's from a Google standpoint, but from personally, from my standpoint, is that a lot of people are still Windows, right? Like Windows rules the world. It's just what it is today. Um, you can be a Mac zealot or a Linux zealot. I know that all of our server farms are that serve up web pages and what whatnot are Linux based, but at the end of the day, it's all Windows based for the consumers and enterprises. So with that said, that's why I'm focusing on really about the PowerShell environment and leveraging the ability to uh, take, you know, there's the power exploit framework um, and really bring that home and do memory dumps and search registry keys and stuff like that. That's going to be huge uh, for me in developing my product for, uh, further. How are the vectors of, you know, you got your mobile devices and you got your, you know, most of the stuff that we're seeing SaaS tools, you know, they're going to run in a environment like sandbox in the browser, you know, are, are those things safe on, on those other machines or are you relying just upon that upstream vendor just to make sure that everything is, is taken care of? Yeah. Fantastic question. My, my two cents is that sandboxes are dead. They're 90 seconds to 120 seconds too late. Right, so you need something that's designed on the endpoint itself to really drive home and look at it itself, uh, and then move forward with that. Uh, so uh, mobile is huge, right? I mean, Android and iOS is the future. Like, so whenever I develop anything, uh, I develop mobile first. That's that's my mantra to me and my team is, guys, you know, when you're out at a Starbucks and you need to look at some threat detail, do you open your laptop or do you look at your phone? It's always looking at your phone, right? So when I think about developing and helping my community, it's really a mobile first uh, a way of developing things. All right, last, last question. So lots of our engineering friends, you know, would love to- I love engineering friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would love to understand the mind of, of sales, self-promotion, developing more business, you know, at least just know, Hey, how do I, how do I properly put myself out there and display my skills, my abilities, get hired by some of these hot clients? You know, what, what's the advice there? I do a little bit of coaching along those lines, but I'm just curious. You're out in the field with some big shots. What, what would you advise? hundred percent GitHub, right? Show me, don't tell me, don't tell me how wonderful you are. Uh, show me. Throw some stuff up on GitHub and uh, update your LinkedIn profile uh, to showcase what you've done. 100% of the time, that's what I do when I look for new hires, is that I go out and I say, okay, well, this guy um, is you know, very um, knowledgeable with React or, or some other frameworks, right? So then, okay, so he says that, what has he done? And so you really need to build out a portfolio in LinkedIn or some other methods, like even having your own website showcasing what you've done. That's, that's to get your foot in the door. Next up is to, uh, when you start to be uh, interviewed, is be likable. Don't be a dick. Don't be a jerk, right? I, I mean, we're all here in the same boat trying to you know, help others. And if you're hot and you're amazing, great. But if I can't work with you and give you suggestions, I'm going to pass on you. So really, show me what you got and be likable and be professional is really the key things that a lot of these organizations do. And there's a 0% unemployment rate right now for these engineers. So if, 
you're thinking today to yourself, well, I got some good skills. Well, then, yeah, you do. You're, you're probably a hot commodity, and you can really go for a really decent salary. But what you need to do is show me and then also tell me in a very articulate way and kind way that you can work with others. That's my advice. Thanks so much for those insights. Chris, it's great to have you here, man. Love the attitude. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.